Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> well, hello there. So pleased to see you've returned to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I'm your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we've got a curious item. If you'll come over here, we have this uh, cylindrical bin full of old schematics, old maps, and the like. If I sift through here, where is the one I am looking for? Ah, here. Here we are believe these are the schematics uh let's see 89p13 yes this is the one indeed if we unroll this we will find the schematics for a curious thing you'll notice the very futuristic design an endoskeleton made of metal with various enhancements but if you'll notice the outline of the creature that this endoskeleton would be encased by you'll notice a very familiar shape indeed that almost of what we would recognize here on earth as a raccoon and therein lies the essence of today's episode of odds bodkin's curiosity shop so let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at the new marvel film guardians of the galaxy volume three so guardians of the galaxy volume three has been a, a much anticipated film for a lot of reasons because of the success of the guardians of the galaxy movies uh guardians of the galaxy really kind of set the tone for marvel it incorporated uh, a lot of humor with a lot of action with a lot of heart and that's kind of been the blueprint uh, almost formulaic to some degrees for Marvel over the past uh, several movies but they really struck gold with this because it was kind of a uh, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy and some of the characters are characters I've heard of. Not being a, a huge comic book collector or a comic book reader, but having done my fair share of comic book reading as a kid growing up and, and kind of delving into it here and there as an adult, uh, I knew a lot of these characters, who they were. Uh, I knew of the Guardians of the Galaxy, but I didn't know a ton about this, this band of superheroes. So I was excited... And and I think the whole world was kind of like me. I mean, there are sure there are a lot of comic book fans, the hardcore ones out there that that knew these characters inside and out. But for the lay fan like me, I, I suppose I, I would lump myself in that. Uh, we didn't know much about it, but this band of misfit superheroes coming together and kind of captured everyone's hearts. <laughs> And became a huge hit. Now, the second one, I enjoyed Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. I know some people didn't like it as much as the first one. I really enjoyed it. So I was looking forward to Part 3. And Part 3, Volume 3, if you will, is kind of the swan song for James Gunn's involvement in the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise because he is moving on to be a part of the uh, the DC Cinematic Universe or the DC Universe, however they're calling it these days. But he's kind of taking over as uh, DC's Kevin Feige. 
So this was going to be his last hurrah with Marvel, at least for the time being. You never say never. <laughs> it depends on how things work out at DC. Uh, maybe he'll come back one day. But this was going to be his final Guardians of the Galaxy film. And it, it really was that. It really felt like a farewell to Marvel, a farewell to the Guardians of the Galaxy's characters. Uh, they're not going anywhere. They're still going to be a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But as far as uh, I, I don't think they're planning on doing any more Guardians of the Galaxy's movies. Uh, there's kind of this thing where they're no longer doing uh, fourth installments of a franchise of Marvel. I, I don't completely understand what's going on there, uh, but it's things I've heard people make mention of uh, over the past few months. Uh, so there's that, but it really was a, a farewell to the Marvel fans, a farewell to the Guardians of the Galaxy's characters, and a farewell to the Guardians of the Galaxy fans in general for James Gunn. So we're going to jump right into this. Uh, I do want to warn you that there are going to be spoilers. Uh, I'm going to talk about this movie, No Holds Barred. So if you haven't seen Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and you don't want anything spoiled for you, uh, you might want to hit pause right now or stop and go watch it then come back and hear my thoughts on it see how it compares to how you felt about this movie if you have watched it or you don't really care one way or the other you're just interested to hear about it uh and you don't care about spoilers we're going to press on but from here on out we are going to have a lot of spoilers for guardians of the galaxy volume 3 so much like uh, any marvel movie these days there's a lot of moving parts to this story. Uh, so we're not going to, I'm not going to dig into this scene by scene, or I'm not going to talk about everything that happened in this movie. We're going to talk about some of the main, the main characters, the main storylines, and, and some of the things I liked and didn't like in this. Uh, we're definitely going to talk about some of the newer characters we're, we're introduced to. But as far as the old characters, Star-Lord, you know who Star-Lord is. Uh, you know who Peter Quill is. You know Chris Pratt plays him. Uh, I don't have to tell you all that about that. So we're not going to get into that. But we're going to talk about uh, what is the main focus of this story. And where we're at in this story. And kind of how it fits into the bigger picture of the MCU. Or, or does it even fit into the bigger picture of the MCU? So to really kind of set this whole movie up and kind of give us a launching off point for this movie. This whole movie starts out... Uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy, they've established their headquarters on Nowhere. Uh, they bought it from the Collector. And, you know, if you watch the Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special, holiday special, whatever you want to call it, on Disney, uh, you saw that they've, they've established their base there. They kind of have a community of misfits all living here on this old <laughs> Ted Celestial's head. And you really jump right into it. After kind of the opening credit scene, which I thought was really cool because they did a it was like a stripped down acoustic version of Radiohead's Creep and you're watching this from the perspective of Rocket Raccoon because he is listening to, to Peter Zune and listening to this uh, acoustic version of Radiohead's Creep kind of half singing along and we're following through it's almost kind of like a one shot and passing all the other Guardians of the Galaxies and we get the, the titles of all of them and but it's a very melancholy intro to this because Radiohead's Creep probably one of the sadder songs Radiohead when they want to write a sad song uh, they do it better than most 
green plastic trees, Creep, even though Creep can rock it. It's, it's a very down song. And it's about being a misfit and not belonging and, and almost hating yourself for not belonging. I love the song, but uh, a very down song to start this off with. And it really speaks a lot to, I think, Rocket's character in this. And so, so we see this uh, whole opening take place. We get a scene where we meet uh, up with Peter because uh, Rocket walks into this bar. Peter's passed out drunk on a table, uh, starts yelling at Rocket for taking his Zune and get your, get your damn little raccoon hands. And, and we get the line that we've heard from Rocket Raccoon before that he's not a raccoon. Uh, kind of one of those like, you know, short guys that are all tough and macho because they don't realize how short they are. They don't think they're short. Uh, they don't think they're small. So they, but they, but they act tough like they're, you know, 10 feet tall and bulletproof. That's kind of like Rocket in this, this whole season or this whole series is that he doesn't think he's a raccoon. He, he's not sure where he comes from, but he's, he's definitely not a raccoon, but we get that. And then it all leads into the introduction of Adam Warlock. Of course, we saw him at the end of volume two in that PS scene where he is created by the Sovereign. And we find out a lot, uh, not a lot about, but a little bit about the Sovereign in regards to the High Evolutionary and how he created the Sovereign and in turn created Adam Warlock to be the the pinnacle of the Sovereign, this this race that he created just purely for aesthetics, you know, uh, dumb people that look really good. But Adam Warlock has been sent to collect Rocket Raccoon because the High Evolutionary wants Rocket Raccoon. And essentially, Adam Warlock is is kind of a bounty hunter in that regard. The High Evolutionary tasked Aisha, which we saw in Volume 2, quote-unquote mother of Adam Warlock. He tasked her with, with getting Rocket Raccoon for him, to which she sent Adam Warlock after. And there's this huge fight scene between the Guardians of the Galaxy and Adam Warlock. And you find out how powerful Adam Warlock is. If you're not familiar with him in the comics, you know, he's he's a terribly powerful being. And we'll get into the nuts and bolts of the character here in, in just a little bit when we talk a little more about specific characters. But in this big fight, Rocket gets injured in his chest and they put a med pack on him. It starts to shock him. And we find out that whoever created Rocket Raccoon, which it's, you know, this is probably one of the biggest spoilers, that, but not really. I mean, I, they even probably touch on it a little bit in the, the trailers, but the High Evolutionary was essentially the man behind the creation of Rocket Raccoon, and he wants him back. And they find out that uh, they essentially attach something to Rocket's heart that uh, will kill him if he doesn't have it deactivated before too long. So this whole movie really is kind of a rescue mission where they're trying to find the codes to deactivate this this kill switch on Rocket's heart and Rocket is in a state of uh, near death for the bulk of this movie and then we get a lot of flashbacks some of it feels like it's through rocket you know you're looking at rocket uh lying there unconscious but you know he's obviously troubled uh, and then you kind of go into these flashbacks and you almost feel like rocket is remembering these things and that's why we're seeing it play out other times they go right into the flashback without any 
reference to rockets being around. There's a lack of rhyme and reason to it sometimes when they go into these rocket flashbacks when, when we just saw a scene that didn't have anything to do with rocket. But it still, I think, worked well enough. Uh, I think it worked best when they go into a flashback after focusing on Rocket. And then, you know, the other ones didn't work as well. But you have already established that it's probably just one of his, you know, fever dream flashbacks. But we, we get to see Rocket as he was a small raccoon being uh, selected to be a part of these experiments. And... For the bulk of the movie, the Guardians of the Galaxy are off trying to to get what they need to rescue Rocket. Rocket is having memories about his past and his essentially his origin story. And then you get a little bit of a third arc with the Sean Gunn, that's uh, James Gunn's brother, Craglin. You get a third arc with Craglin and the the dog Cosmo, voiced by uh, Maria Bakalova. Uh, she was also, uh, she was introduced in one of the other movies, uh, but as a character uh, was introduced in the holiday special. And I believe that's where we first saw Cosmo talking and, and, and whatnot and the, the telekinesis and things like that. But you have a, a small kind of comedic third side story uh, with Craglin and Cosmo as they stay behind on uh, Nowhere. So that's pretty much the basis uh, of where we start out with this story. Now, uh, we're going to talk about a couple of the new characters that were introduced to with this movie, uh, this third installment of Guardians of the Galaxy. Like I said, one of them we were really introduced to, for the most part, at the end of Volume 2, but we really don't get to know this character. And, and I don't even know if we got to know him that well uh, in Volume 3, but I think it's a character that we're going to get to know uh, in the future of the MCU. But we're going to start off with Adam Warlock, played by Will Poulter, which I really enjoyed uh, this character for the comic relief that they did provide. Will Poulter is a good actor, and he's got some really good uh, comedic timing in this. I think, I mean, I, I've seen him in, in several things. I was trying to think where the first time I saw him. I, I mean, I know I saw him in the Maze Runner series, but Chronicles of Narnia, I, I think I remember him from that. But the first time I really, like, he stood out to me was in the Midsommar movie, uh, played Mark. And and I, I hated the character. Uh, and that really, I think, is a testament to how well he played the character because you really didn't like the guy. The guy wasn't very likable. I'm sure Will Poulter is a, a very... Uh, very nice guy, but you, he made you not like him. He made you really uh, just annoyed by him. And I, I think, you know, like I said, uh, I think he's a good actor, a fine example of a good actor. So I think can be a lovely person to be around and make you hate them in the movie. So, uh, but he's he's part of that. Uh, he was in Blackbeard, uh, the Bandersnatch movie. So he's been in a ton of stuff that you're probably familiar with, but uh, he plays Adam Warlock. Now the Adam Warlock in the comics is is a little bit different. Uh, Adam Warlock in the comics was originally named him. He was created by the Enclave and and his story goes a little like in the the movie where he starts out as kind of a bad guy but then rebels rebels against his creator and becomes a good guy. And we we see a quasi similar 
arc for him in this. Uh, he does have a relation to the High Evolutionary. The High Evolutionary is, I believe, the one that that kind of gave him the the Warlock name, or at least part of the Adam Warlock name. But there are big differences to how the character is portrayed. Because like I said, uh, they played this character for as powerful as this character is. Uh, they played him for a lot of comedy and comic relief because they made the character, much like the Sovereign, beautiful but dumb. And that was the only thing. I, I really wanted this character to be taken serious. So I, I wasn't terribly pleased with the fact that they made him just... And, and I get it. They they play with the idea that he was brought out of the cocoon that we saw him in Volume 2 uh, early. The High Evolutionary took him out early, so he still had the mind of a child. And, okay, that makes sense. But just so much as if you if you let this character develop mentally until we have an actually legit character that you can take serious somebody with all this power that you can take serious because in the comics uh i've heard him described as space jesus and uh i i, I that that kind of makes me laugh uh the whole the whole idea behind that but the character is not a, a comic relief character. This is a serious character. And I hope we can kind of get the Adam Warlock character to that point. But as we see him in this movie, he is a comic relief character. And he does have an interesting story arc because he's just kind of this, this dumb kid just doing whatever his parents told. Hey, go get that raccoon. And he does, no questions asked, and doesn't care if he's going to hurt anybody or not. There were some interesting scenes that kind of played into that just not really understanding the extent of his power where I believe it's the high evolutionary in Asia have this uh, ravager that they've captured and they want to question him and he's not talking. So she goes to Adam Warlock. If you can maybe uh, loosen his lips a little bit and he shoots a blast of energy out of his hands into the guy's chest and just totally fries him. And they're like, why did you do that? We can't get any answers from him now. It was played for some earned humor. Uh, I enjoyed that. Uh, there was a scene at the end where, you know, Peter Quill is his rescued. And we'll maybe get into the climax a little more later. But all the Guardians of the Galaxy are surrounding him, hugging him. And Will Poulter as Adam Warlock just, he kind of walks up and... He's had this kind of change of heart and he just doesn't know how to. And then he's touching, uh, you know, everyone's hand on top. And then next thing you know, he's kind of leaning in and being a part of this group hug because he's, like I said, he has the mind of a child. So he thinks in childish ways and he just wants to be accepted. He just wants to be loved. And it's a situation where he was trying to hurt people, but they saved him anyway because... Everyone deserves a second chance, I think, is the line that he gets from... I can't remember. I think it was Groot through Drax uh, tells him that everyone deserves a second chance. So for how they used the character, like I said, kind of as a, a little bit of a, uh, a launching point and a reason to, to kick this whole thing off uh, and using him as a bit of a comic relief, I think they used him well. I, I liked what they did with him. I just... I still kind of wish that the Adam Warlock would have been more of a serious character. Not everybody's got to be comedian in a Marvel movie. And that's, I, I know that's kind of Guardians of the Galaxy's shtick, but now everybody in the MCU is a comedian. And it's just, it's a little too much comedy all the time. 
I think this movie did find a nice balance between the action, the heart, and the comedy. But there again, like I said, just like I, I wanted the character to be taken a little more serious. Now, the other new character that we're introduced is the main antagonist of this movie. It's the High Evolutionary, played by Akudi Uji. And this is another character that it's a little different than in the comics. I know in the comics, uh, he is from Earth. He's a man, Herbert Edgar Wyndham. I don't know. They didn't make it so he wasn't that in this. They just never really explained his backstory enough. He talked about how he had been to Earth. But he never talked about being from Earth. But uh, Herbert Edgar Wyndham, the high evolutionary, is a geneticist. And and a lot of the things that happen here uh, counter Earth. Uh, it's all played out a little differently in the comics than it is in the movie. But it's all there's a lot of parallels between what the high evolutionary does in this to what he did in the comics. And while it may not be 100% accurate, there are some parallels that can be drawn. And it's... As far as an adaptation go, it's not a bad adaptation of this character. And Kakudi Awuji, I thought he played this character excellent. I know a lot of people were upset because he kind of just devolved into a lot of yelling. But you really saw the evolution of this character. He is a character that is very soft-spoken and well-spoken. Uh, character at the beginning, keeping his calm and composure. He is uh, trying to achieve excellence and perfection in his creations. And how can he expect anything of his creations that he can't be himself? So he tries to come across as the perfection that he wants to, to make in his creations. But that's kind of the theme of this movie is that there is no perfect person. And that's not to say there's not perfection out there, but people are never going to be perfect. We're always going to be flawed. And that's not a bad thing. It's a main theme of this. And you have this man who's trying to act like the perfection that he wants to embody in his creations, but it's all a facade, much like his stretched face. Uh, it, it's all a facade to the ugliness underneath. And the ugliness can be just your imperfections, but but you can be a good person or the ugliness underneath can be your true nature and, and it be an ugly and horrible thing. Like in this case with with the high evolutionary, he's wearing this fake face to cover up the hideousness of his true being. And and that's much like this, this facade we see in him where he's soft-spoken and well-spoken and, and well-mannered to a degree. And as soon as things start to get out of his control, things that he can no longer control, like Rocket being smarter than him, uh, his one creation that could think and, for himself and invent and had an inventive mind that he had nothing to do with. He didn't create that. That's that's creation from a higher, higher being, a higher power. It's something he didn't have control over. And it threatened him. And you started to see the real high evolutionary start to show through the mask, show through the facade. That drunken scene where he's looking for 89P13 and you start to see him losing it. And he just gets more and more insane. Uh, and the insanity of this, this man who's uh, hell-bent on perfection, uh, making everything perfect. He is quite mad. It's just that the facade we saw earlier 
made us think that he was very rational. He was very educated, very well-spoken. He had it all together. And and why wouldn't somebody that has it all together want to strive for perfection? But we, we realize it's a, a fool's errand and a madman's errand because there is no perfect person out there. There are no perfect beings. Uh, there are no uh, perfect civilizations and he as much as he tried to come across as perfect was not perfect himself that drove him mad that that quest for perfection and like i said finding out that something he had nothing to do with a perfection that he couldn't create he couldn't replicate drove him mad and he was he was that guy that was yelling and insane by the end that was him all along we just couldn't see through the mask at that point. And Kakuti Awuji did a, a fantastic job with this, playing both ends of that spectrum. He played the, the civilized, sophisticate. Great job with that. You believed it. And then when the, the descent into the madness, or, or maybe not even a descent, but the, the madness showing through incrementally uh, till the very end when he is just full bore off the rails, uh, he did that kind of gradual revelation of the insanity that was within this this character uh, quite well and both versions of him felt very menacing the calm and calculated scientist felt very menacing because you knew he was up to no good because of what he was doing with rocket the madman that we see by the end was very much a a very menacing character that you you were afraid you didn't know what he was what he was capable of by the time it all ended. So both actors, uh, Will Poulter and Kukuri Awuji, uh, who played these two new characters, did a fantastic job. Uh, you know, the whole cast uh, in Guardians of the Galaxy is quite good. Of course, I love Chris Pratt. Uh, I know a lot of people give him shit, but I better really enjoy him as Star-Lord. Zoe Saldana as Gamora was, was fun to watch. She wasn't a new character, but it was a new version of her uh, that we haven't seen since uh, Endgame. And... You know, she's back in and she meets up with the group and is a part of this adventure, but it's not the Gamora we knew before. She doesn't remember. She's a Gamora from the past before she spent time with, with Star-Lord and the Guardians. And she's a colder character, but you still see that warmth uh, ready to, to burst through in this character. And while they do play the will they won't they with star lord and gamora it ends up they don't at least not in this iteration it's it's a slow burn i i like how they didn't speed them back into being in love but you saw some of the cracks showing in gamora's defenses and that that she is warming up to peter she is warning warming up to the guardians and and if we see them in a future iteration of this this movie franchise, I'd like to think that it will eventually see the old Gamora again with this character. But like I said, Zoe Saldana, excellent job. Dave Bautista as Drax was just... Uh, his comedic timing for, for being like a professional wrestler turned actor is wonderful. Him and Karen Gillan and Palm Klementiev uh, just do a wonderful job with these three characters. Of course, the Drax and Mantis character are, are a fun combo. We got to see that in the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, but these two uh, together on the screen are, are very fun to watch. A lot of the comedy comes in through there. Uh, the Nebula character kind of added in. She's kind of this tough character, but she has... 
Uh, Karen Gillan has some really good comedic timing of her own. And, and those three add a lot of nuance to this cast. You get like the Drax the Destroyer, the tough badass, but then you get some of those those funny moments with Dave Batista where he's talking about metaphors. <laughs> it just, you can't help but laugh. Uh, you know, for, for anyone there that uh, doesn't like him or doesn't like the modern Marvel movies and, and the, the humor, that's some fun humor that you just, I, I couldn't help but laugh during it. But these three characters were, were fantastic. Uh, Vin Diesel is Groot. Groot is Groot. And, and Vin Diesel's performance as Groot is, you know, it's, I am Groot. What what else could be said? Sean Gunn as Craglin did a really good job. He just kind of pulls off that space redneck vibe really well. And and you get uh, uh, some more comedy with him and the Cosmo character. Craglin and Cosmo. Of course, Cosmo is that astronaut dog. And he, he says she's a, a bad dog at some point. And she is so offended by this and the back and forth of her wanting him to take it back and him not taking it back was fun and it had that nice payoff when when the high evolutionaries minions attack nowhere but maria bakalova plays a you know does a good job with the voice of of cosmo then of course bradley cooper as rocket raccoon uh fantastic job i i love the voice he does for rocket because I, when you listen to it it's a i have a hard time remembering that that's Bradley Cooper doing that voice. They do a good job with with his voice, that accent kind of a little New York, New Jersey. And it's good because it doesn't feel like, hey, that's Bradley Cooper playing Rocket Raccoon. It feels like a character. It feels like its own thing. Uh, It feels like it is Rocket Raccoon and not some, uh, you know, well-known celebrity playing Rocket Raccoon. But I did like this story, uh, this backstory, origin story for Rocket Raccoon, where he is, you know, their high evolutionaries doing these experiments on him, augmenting his body, giving him, you know, opposable thumbs as a raccoon, uh, giving him the the metal skeleton and, and all the augmentations of him, and this small, scared little little raccoon, and it's just, I'm not gonna say. <laughs> I cry easily at movies. I don't. And I didn't cry during this, but there are some moments where it was just, it was heartwarming and heart touching. And, you know, you see this, this little animal being experimented on and, and tortured. His first words are, it hurts. It was powerful to watch. And then him befriending these other experimented on animals, this otter Lila, the the walrus teeths, the little rabbit with the spider legs uh, floor. It was just all very touching. And of course, those three characters are from the comics. Uh, they're done in different ways, but they are a, a part of, you know, Rocket Raccoon's story. But this story have Rocket Raccoon kind of being created by the High Evolutionary, the High Evolutionary making him feel like a, you know, he's a father figure to Rocket until Rocket really starts to surpass him intellectually. And then he starts to feel threatened. And then all of a sudden Rocket's not so important to him. And where he was calling him uh, a modern marvel at one point now he's nothing but a stepping stone in evolution and he's going to destroy his friends uh, group 89 and he is going to study rocket's brain and this leads rocket to escaping and his friends all getting inadvertently shot and then him just tearing apart 
the high evolutionary's face. And you don't really get it at, at first, but if you, you watch it close enough, you get the inkling of what is revealed later when we have uh, the high evolutionary's mask, his, his facial mask ripped off of him and, and seeing what he truly is underneath. For anybody who didn't understand why he looked the way he did, think back to that scene and that is why he looked the way he did. We'll, we'll kind of get into that revelation when we talk about the finale. But, but the rest of this movie, yeah, other than the flashbacks, it is essentially this uh, mission by the team to get this passcode, uh, for lack of a better term, to disarm the, the kill switch on Rocket's heart and save his life. And then, of course, you know, it, it's very much a flying around the galaxy. They fly to that uh, Orgo Corp where they have the, the run-in with Nathan Fillion's character. Actually, a lot of cameos in that. You had Nathan Fillion. Daniela Melchior uh, plays Ura. Of course, uh, Daniela Melchior played Ratcatcher 2 in another James Gunn film, uh, Suicide Squad 2. Uh, yeah, there were a ton of, uh, ton of cameos in this, uh, not to mention those, of course, uh, Linda Cardellini, she plays Laura Barton, Hawkeye's wife. She voiced the Lila character. Michael Rosenbaum played, uh, Martin X, who is one of the Ravagers. Judy Greer, who plays, uh, Maggie Lang, uh, Scott Lang's ex-wife and Ant-Man. She plays the voice of Warpig, a cyborg uh, pig, uh, created by the High Evolutionary. Seth Green returns, voicing, uh, Howard the Duck, who makes an appearance in a card game scene with, uh, Craglin and Cosmo. James Gunn's wife makes a, an appearance in this. There were literally, I mean, those are just a handful of the shit ton of voice and, and actor cameos in this movie. Oh, not to mention Sylvester Stallone returns as uh, one of the Ravagers as well. And all in all, it was it was a fun ride. Uh, I, I, I liked it uh, well enough. I mean, there was a lot of action. There never really felt like a lot of downtime. Uh, there were some points where I was like, oh, this is... I, you started to feel the weight of a two and a half hour movie uh, there towards the end. Once they get to counter earth and things are going on there and we're kind of racing towards the, the climax. Like I said, it never really felt like there was any downtime. There was a lot of good pace to it. There was a lot of action to it. It just, you know, you felt the weight of all that action. And I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but to get this climax where you get the guardians of the galaxy on the high evolutionary ship, uh, they're trying to dock this ship with the uh, with nowhere, which is you know uh, it's not a planet; it's ahead of a dead celestial. But uh, they've attached rockets to it, and they can move it around like a pirate ship. But they're trying to dock the two to get to rescue not only the Guardians of the Galaxy, but all the high evolutionaries captured uh, experiments, even the animals that uh, the high evolutionary has been experimenting on. They're rescuing them as well. And and there again, it's very action-packed. Probably one of the coolest scenes, and I know a lot of people I've heard talking about this have, have mentioned this scene. Uh, Marvel, thanks to the Daredevil series on Netflix, uh, Marvel loves them some hallway fight scenes and there is a hallway fight scene when uh, the high evolutionary unleashes his hell spawn which are some of his failed experiments that are just kind of turned into warriors uh, that fight for him these abominations there's this hallway fight scene where the guardians of the galaxy go up against these this hell spawn and the fight scene is pretty badass i mean it's it's a lot of cg it's a lot of green screen 
but it was all done really well and the action just felt like a one shot i know it's not because it is like i said a lot of cg a lot of green screen but they 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 compose this scene like a one shot and just kind of highlighting everybody as they move through this this big hallway fight scene it was it was really stunning to watch and actually really good i mean the choreography of it all the cg of it all the visual effects of it all was some top caliber stuff and for for the people that bitch about marvel and the bitch about disney cg you can't complain too much about the cg and the visual effects in this movie but then you have that big showdown at the end with the high evolutionary and the guardians of the galaxy rocket raccoon is attacked by the high evolutionary who's quite deranged by this time but they kind of subdue him and, and leave him to die on his exploding ship of course not before ripping this mask off and you see this uh, face that is left because of rocket raccoon when he attacked him back when he was one of the high evolutionary's experiments and he has no nose and all the skins ripped off and just a, a grotesque uh, creature that you know he he had this mask this face this fleshy face mask uh, stretched over him to make him look like he was normal make him look like he was perfect and and we saw the the real him underneath the rot and i think that's a, a lot of metaphor for this movie is those two types of people those people that uh, you know, they they act like they've got it together. They act like they're perfect on the outside, but when you when you take off the mask, they're just nothing but rot and and disfigurement and and ugliness. Uh, you have people like that. Then you have on the other side, you have the misfits, the people that don't belong, who on the outside they look like they are some sort of monstrosity and they look like you know there's something wrong with them they don't fit in but when all actuality they're they're good people that that do good things much like the guardians of the galaxy it's a group of misfits but they're good people they're they're heroes they're they're out doing good things and and saving humanity and saving you know the lives of the innocent and i i just kind of liked that uh that yin and yang of the two types of people that are really kind of highlighted in this movie the metaphor of of these two guardians of the galaxy versus the high evolutionary but they leave him on this ship that is going down we never see him die though they don't kill him and that's kind of one of the things i liked about this is that they don't kill the high evolutionary and you don't see him die you assume he died on the ship but you don't know and that's a rare thing with Marvel these days. Usually the bad guy gets killed off at the end and never to be seen or heard from again, which is not how things go in the comics. I like the fact that they didn't kill him. I like the fact that they allegedly believe he's probably dead, but he's not necessarily dead because, again, you didn't see him die. So so I like that. But then you kind of have this denouement of the Guardians back on, on Nowhere. Peter Quill is leaving to go back home to, to reconnect with his grandfather. Uh, Mantis is going to find herself. Like she says, she spent so many time doing what Ego wanted. Then she uh, spent all her time doing what the Guardians wanted. She wants to find out what she wants. So, so I like that. You have uh, Nebula and Drax kind of taking care of these kids that they rescued off of uh, the high evolutionary ship and running nowhere and rocket gets 
command of the Guardians of the Galaxy. And, and in the mid credit scene, we have that uh, that new Guardians of the Galaxy uh, rocket. And Groot, Groot is like a huge monster now. <laughs> But you have him, you have Kraglin, who's finally mastered Yondu's arrow, which we did have a Michael Rooker Yondu cameo as well. I forgot that earlier. But you have them, Cosmo, Adam Warlock is now a part of the Guardians of the Galaxy. We have a new Guardian. One of the kids that they rescued from the High Evolutionary is Philavel, also known as Quasar. She's gone by several names in the comics, but she is uh, now... Uh, a guardian of the galaxy and uh, blurp a little weird dog cat looking creature and then you had that post credit scene where peter quill is sitting eating breakfast with his grandfather he's wearing uh he's wearing a freakies t-shirt which i noticed right away freakies was a a weird it was a cereal back in the 70s and they had these really weird creatures in you know animated creatures in their commercials very crazy, but uh, he had a freaky's t-shirt on and they're talking about him mowing the yard of somebody, even though they have a 45-year-old son that should be mowing it for the person. His grandfather is reading a newspaper where you can see the headline uh, talking about Kevin Bacon being abducted by aliens, a reference back to the holiday special on Disney+. And then, of course, it all fades out. You still hear Peter eating. You hear him, uh, the cereal bowl spoon clinking. But uh, it says the legendary Star-Lord will return which is kind of a um, a nod to i think the story that they're going to do there was a uh, run with peter quill star lord called the legendary star lord or, or legendary star lord and it was a, a comic run that talked about it, it kind of went into to peter after he left the guardians of the galaxy and what he did after that so i, I imagine that's where they're planning to go with this character so all in all, I, I like this movie. It was a little long, and, and that's probably one of my biggest critiques. It was two hours and 30, 35 minutes long, something like that. And uh, yeah, right around 2.30, I believe it was, two hours and 30 minutes. It, they could have shaved some time off. It, it's become a thing now where like every superhero movie has got to be like two, two and a half hours. It doesn't have to be. <laughs> you, you don't have to make such long movies. And it's not that... There wasn't enough to go around. It wasn't that there wasn't enough action. It wasn't that there wasn't enough story. It just, like I said, there there's one point where it's getting towards the end. I'm like, oh, I, I was just started feeling the weight of a two and a half hour movie. So if I had any critique, I would say that I wish this was a little bit shorter. Just trim a little bit more of the fat to, to kind of condense this down. Get it, get it closer to two hours. And I think this would have been... Uh, a solid effort. Um, it really was kind of its own thing. They didn't play into any bigger Marvel story arc that we've got over the past several years, the past decade or so. Every Marvel movie seemed like it was leading up to uh, Avengers Endgame. And this was kind of refreshing that this was just its own story. It didn't feel like the piece in a bigger picture. Now, that's not to say that the High Evolutionary is not going to come back and he's not going to fit into the bigger picture with the Kang Dynasty stuff. I, I think that may be the case uh, because he made some references that I've uh, that I noticed that kind of made me think he might have had some involvement with Kang. 
Chang at some point where he's talking about making recordings. He's listening to recordings that were 5,000 years old. Well, of course, uh, there was no way to record uh, music 5,000 years ago. So it made me wonder if he's had some involvement with Kang before. So yeah, there may be some some minor things that lead into bigger picture MCU stuff, but for the most part, this was its self-contained story. I like how we got to focus on Rocket for for so long, you know, he denied that he was a, a raccoon and and we finally get him. He, he's looking at the cage where, you know, there are these baby raccoons, these little kits, and, and they are uh, going to be experimented on and he rescues them, but he sees on the tag that they're raccoons and that he is a raccoon. And you finally get him acknowledging that at the end, acknowledging who he is. Uh, you know, he's always felt different, like a freak, uh, an experiment gone wrong, but he finally accepts who he is, that he's Rocket Raccoon. And that's the first time we've ever heard him referred to as that, or at least heard him refer to himself as Rocket Raccoon. And and that was fun. And, and him taking over leadership of the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, was fun. You got that scene where they're fighting in that big corridor fight scene and he jumps up on Groot's shoulder. And that's like one of the, it's such an iconic image from the comics and from the original Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, you know, Rocket blasting away while he's standing on Groot's shoulder. Uh, you got to see that again, which was kind of a, a fun little nod to to the comics and to the, the previous, you know, the first Guardians of the Galaxy. And Honestly, James Gunn has always said that Rocket was his favorite character, one of the reasons he wanted to do Guardians of the Galaxy. And and they even mention how this has been Rocket's story all along. And, and if you look back, uh, it, it may have felt like Peter for the most part, but Rocket Raccoon has been uh, an integral part of the story. And, and his backstory and, and the mystery of it has been an integral part of the storytelling over the past three movies. And, and I like how he's been kind of the heart of these movies, uh, at least as far as James Gunn is concerned. And I think a lot of fans may may agree or disagree with that. I, I'm kind of, I, I'm not sure, but I, but I like where the story went. I like where the three movies took us to this new version of the Guardians of the Galaxy that we may see in another Guardians movie. We may not. I'm sure we're going to see these characters show up again with everything that's going on in in the MCU that's leading up to the big uh, Kang Dynasty movies and, and, and everything from here to there. Uh, we'll see these characters again showing up in, in various movies, but as another Guardians of the Galaxy movie, I don't know. Uh, we could see another special. I'd like another Christmas special. I thought that was fun. Uh, I miss those Christmas specials from back in the, the 70s and 80s. So uh, look forward to see where they go with this franchise. If the franchise continues, where these characters, these characters are definitely going to continue. Uh, it's going to be fun to see where they take this from now. And I think it was a good story. It was well written. The dialogue was fantastic. I didn't have, you know, I liked the... Uh, the balance of comedy and drama and heart and action. I, I thought there was a good balance there. It wasn't like Thor Love and Thunder where it just seemed like it was just way too much comedy and way too much buffoonery. Uh, there is buffoonery in this, but it's earned because the characters, uh, you know, Thor is Thor. 
Thor's the god of thunder. He shouldn't be some bumbling buffoon. Where you have these other characters that have been established uh, being who they are. And we got to see some interesting things about it. Like Drax is always kind of looked at as an idiot. But we find out that he's not an idiot. He just, you know, like he could speak the language of these little kids on the high evolutionary ship. He just doesn't because nobody asked him if he could speak their language. And he's actually a lot more intelligent than people give him credit for. And there again, I think that kind of plays into the whole theme of this this movie about uh, people who look perfect on the outside but are horrible and, and disfigured on the inside and, and monsters on the inside and people who look uh, like misfits and like they don't belong on the outside uh, but are actually... Uh, so much more on the inside. I thought that was a, a great realization and revelation of that metaphor through the Drax character. There were so many relationship beats between uh, Drax and Mantis, Drax, Mantis, and Nebula, Nebula and Peter. Is there a burgeoning relationship there? Who knows? Uh, Peter and Gamora, Rocket and, and Peter and the whole group. Uh, there were so many so many funny moments where Peter was talking about having to save his best friend, a rocket, and Drax kept saying, second best friend, because he looks at himself as Peter's best friend. And there's so many fun beats to this, uh, so many funny moments that weren't knee-slappy, uh, ridiculous humor, even though there was some ridiculous humor in this. And we talked about it earlier. Uh, not only did I really like the story and the acting and, and the dialogue and, and all of that, but the effects, the visual effects, I thought were really good in this. Uh, Marvel and Disney get a lot of shit. And, and I think a lot of times, uh, I think it's undue shit for their CG. Uh, sometimes I don't think their CG is as bad as people make it out. Uh, that's not to say there aren't some pretty horrendous looking uh, moments of CG in throughout Marvel. And you could make a case for, for some really bad CG throughout Marvel and Disney stuff. But I think a lot of it is a matter of these artists, these visual effects artists, aren't given enough time to do the job right, to do it completely. And I like how James Gunn and, and the crew here uh, made sure that the CG was really good. I, I really enjoyed the CG. I thought, for the most part, there wasn't there wasn't any glaring moments of really shitty CG in this. I, I thought the CG was all done really well. The green screen work was done really well, and. You know, for an action adventure like this out in space, uh, you know, the CG was just uh, some of the best I've seen in a while with a Marvel movie. I was also quite happy to see that they didn't kill anybody off in this because there were a lot of rumors swirling over the past year or so, uh, given uh, the advent of the trailer being released. Uh, there was a lot of talk that uh, Peter might die, that especially Rocket. I heard tons of rumors that Rocket was going to die in this. Uh, Dave Bautista said this was going to be the last uh, Guardians of the Galaxy movie he does. Zoe Saldana also said the same thing. I didn't hear any rumors about her, but I did hear rumors that Drax may be killed off. I, I think that may be because this, this may be the last Guardians of the Galaxy they actually do, and that these characters will just show up in, in other Marvel movies. Uh, so, But there were a lot of rumors swirling around before this came out of, of characters dying, and I'm glad they didn't kill anybody off. I don't think they needed to. Um, 
I, I like all these characters, and I think uh, there's a, a big future for a lot of these and what Marvel is going to be doing. So I'm glad they didn't kill anybody off. I also saw some critiques about you know a lot of Marvel stuff being in space now. All all the Marvel movies are, are taking place in space. Well, that's I mean that shouldn't be a great surprise because they talked about the fact that these these next phases are going to be some of the more cosmic stories uh, with the Celestials and with Kang the Conqueror and that. So yeah, we are going to see. I mean, if you don't like the Marvel space stuff, you're not going to like the next phase or two of Marvel because uh, as of right now, that's all that's going to be going on is uh, not pigs in space, but Marvel in space. So uh, get used to it because if you don't like it, you're in for a bumpy ride. But all that being said, I think this was kind of a love letter from James Gunn to to the Guardians of the Galaxy, to Rocket Raccoon, these characters that, that he loved enough to, to do this movie, to the cast who who was there for him when, you know, he got fired from Marvel and Disney and, and brought back, you know, they were there supporting him. It was a love letter to the cast that played these characters and a, a love letter to the fans as well of these Guardians of the Galaxies movie. I think, you know, he he wanted this to go out. Like I said, it wasn't a part of a bigger MCU picture. It was just a Guardians of the Galaxy movie. And it was a Guardians of the Galaxy movie that focused on what, Guardians of the Galaxy movies tend to focus on, and that is family. It is friendship. It is being there for the people you love and the people that love you. And you may have your disagreements and you may argue and you may yell at each other, maybe a little too much when it it comes to Nebula and and Mantis. They always seem to be yelling at people, but people you love, you're there for them. The people that love you, you're there for them and you're there for each other. And, And that really is the heart, I think, of the Guardians of the Galaxies movie, the Guardians of the Galaxies as a, a superhero group. And that is probably one of the biggest themes that you could take away from any of these Guardians of the Galaxies movie. And and I thank James Gunn for that, because I think that's a positive message we all need to, to hear and take to heart. So I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on uh, James Gunn's final hurrah with uh, Marvel, at least for now, with Guardians of the Galaxy 3. I enjoyed it. I I thought this was a fun movie. Like I said, it was kind of refreshing that it was just kind of a standalone Guardians of the Galaxy movie. It didn't have any bigger connotations. Not to say that there won't be some fallout from this movie that leads into some bigger MCO things, but it was nice to just see a just a Guardians of the Galaxy movie and not have to worry about watching the next five movies to see where this all kind of fits in. So I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the acting, uh, the effects, the writing. It was all just a really good movie and and a great way for James to go out on top with Marvel and with the Guardians of the Galaxy as he heads off to start doing DC stuff and try and make some uh, rhyme or reason out of the mess that is DC right now. But uh, I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Hopefully you liked it as much as I did. If you haven't watched it, go check it out. Uh, I do think you're going to enjoy it. If you love Guardians of the Galaxy, it's got everything you love about this this movie franchise. And uh, if you love a good superhero movie, uh, I, I think uh, this is maybe not one of the best but it's a really good one, uh, one that I really enjoyed and one my wife and I uh, both 
had a good time watching. And that's really what you go to the movies for, to be entertained and have a good time. And, and you got it in spades with this. So thanks for listening to my thoughts on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening and check out more about what's going on with Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on our Facebook page. Always posting trailers to movies and series out, as well as sharing articles from all over the internet. I like to add my two cents as well. You can also find us on Instagram. And no matter where you listen to this podcast, follow it subscribe to it like it whatever you have to do and of course leave a review five stars would be awesome but whatever review you leave we do appreciate that so until next time thank you for visiting odds bodkins curiosity shop we hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon but even though you may come back you never really get to leave odds bodkins curiosity shop (laughs) Ha 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 ha!